Good morning. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalms 4, 1 through 8. If you are able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we hear his word. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Our New Testament reading is from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 38. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, how grateful we are to you for your word. Thank you that you have given it to us. Lord, our desire is to hear and to obey. 
And we ask your help by your spirit to do this, Lord. Make the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God is good. And all the time. Amen. As, As we continue to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord throughout this Easter season, we come to recognize that the resurrection of Christ is a manifestation of the goodness of God. The psalmist recognizes the dearth of goodness there is among the peoples of the earth when he says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Good. The Hebrew word means, and it includes, prosperity. Pleasant, agreeable, moral good, welfare, benefit. Sounds a lot like things that every person wants, right? And I suppose that the man who went into the FedEx facility in Indianapolis Thursday was disappointed in not finding any good, and he shot and killed eight people in a place where he had formerly been employed, experiencing some good. I suppose, too, that in the city of Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, a police officer thought she was doing good according to the law, attempting to bring into custody a person with an outstanding warrant for his arrest, but used her gun instead of her taser to try to detain the person. And the rioters in their riding are asking for justice, for good, but not in a good way. The nation looks on at the violence and it's fair to ask, who will show us some good? Then around the world, you'll find similar examples of hard things, hard things, and some some things even much harder than, than these. People have difficulty discerning good. And ultimately, the question is being put to God, who will show us some good? Good is the desire of the human heart. Good is the original state of the creation. Everything God made, he saw that it was good. Everything God made is good. God is the original materialist. The earth is good. Dirt is good. The heavens are good. Water is good. Fruit is good. Work is good. You may not think that on Monday morning. Rest is good. God made good. Good is tangible. It's, it's touchable. It's, it can be sensed and experienced. It, it can be attested. 
And the human heart longs for good and God longs to give us good. Our craving for good is really a longing for God. Augustine in his confessions wrote, you have awakened us to delight in your praise for you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You see, you won't experience good until you experience God and, and we are meant to experience God not ethereally, but materially. Not intangibly, but tangibly. Not invisibly, but visibly. So then how is it that Christ's resurrection is a manifestation of the goodness of God? Well, Christ says it here in the, in, in the text. He says he's not a spirit, but he has flesh and bone. And so it's necessary for the church to know that Jesus, being physically and tangibly alive, knows that heaven and earth are one. Heaven and earth are closer than we expect. See, Jesus, in his resurrection, he dispels all false notions about life after death. See, Jesus, alive from the dead, having flesh and bone, is to teach us that the goodness of God is meant for us to touch, to handle, to look upon. And ghosts can't do any of that. So I suppose you might think this is a spooky sermon. You see, Jesus, having flesh and bone, teaches us that there is more to God's goodness than a ghost can handle. It shows us there's more truth than a ghost can comprehend. And ghosts aren't substantial witnesses to the good things God has done. So let's think about this. Ghosts can't experience the goodness God has to give. So look at Luke 24, 36 to 39. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. You see, ghosts can't experience the goodness of God, the goodness God has to give. You see, Jesus declares he's not a spirit. A resurrected human being, as a resurrected human being, there, there are three things that the risen Jesus reveals about the goodness of God here. That he can physically dispel fears. He can reveal himself to his people. And God can be touched. So he can dispel, dispel fears. Now, when I was a kid, many years ago, I watched this movie. I was about five years old, and it was called The House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, it, was, it was a scary movie you know, back then. You know, t- today, it's like, you know, you look at it and laugh at the special effects and all. But you know, you know, back then, five years old, it scared me to death. See, my brothers and I, we slept in the basement in the house, and it was always dark down there. And from my bed, on the other side of the basement in the dark, it looked like there were ghosts on the other side of the room, and it scared me to death. And I would scream, Mama! Mama! You know, yeah, I screamed for my mommy. Yeah, my, my mother was on the third floor. 
she would hear and come down and calm me until I go back to sleep. You see, I needed somebody with skin on. Yeah, and see, Jesus has flesh and bone. And the first thing he does to calm his disciples is speaks peace to them. See, that peace that he speaks is the equivalent, it's the equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is, it's that universal wholeness and delight. The rich state of affairs when, when everything is as it ought to be. You know, we read the catechism question and, it, and it, it talked about how sin had caused the disintegration of creation. Shalom is the integration of creation. The peace is what God is giving to his people. The peace with God, the peace of God. Romans 5.1 says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And the peace of God is what, we, what enables you. And in Philippians, it tells us about the peace of God. It was, but, but that peace of God is what enables you to face dangers and toils and, and snares. See, the peace of God, it's, it's the father. It's the father whose daughter was kidnapped by Boko Haram. And yet, he knows his daughter and he knows the sovereignty of our God. Because when other kidnapped girls, the Chabot girls, when they were returned to the village and, and his daughter is not among them, he learns the reason why from those other girls. They told him why she wasn't. It's because she refused to convert to Islam. And he said this, Boko Haram insurgents decided not to release my daughter because she refused to denounce Christ. I am happy for that. Even though, as a father, I wish she had returned home as the rest, but God is in control. You see, that's peace that passes understanding. See, this is the peace of God. It's a peace that dispels all fears. As if I have the peace of God, what else can worry me? See, Jesus raised from the dead with flesh and bone speaks the goodness of the peace of God. But he also reveals himself you know, did you notice how he just appears as they're talking about him? He invites them to see his hands and feet. And, and he says, it is I, myself, not a ghost, not an angel, but he is himself. Jesus is himself. They're reminded that he is who he was, but now with scars. And here's what's significant about this, in case you, in case you miss it. So Jesus, who is our good, only appears to his own. So he doesn't, he didn't appear, he didn't appear to the religious leaders. He didn't appear to the scribes and the Pharisees. He doesn't appear to Pilate. He does, you know, what might that have done had he appeared to Pilate? He didn't appear to, the, to those who were guarding the tomb, but he appears to his own. The unbelievers didn't see him, only his chosen ones. Only his children get to experience the goodness of new resurrection life with Christ in God. Psalm 149 verse 4 says this, where the Lord takes pleasure in his people, he adorns the humble with salvation. And in Psalm 16 verse 11, it says this, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Hallelujah. You see, Jesus only reveals this new resurrection life to his people. 
But there's more. See, Jesus invites them to touch and to see. Now, can you imagine touching God? See, Jesus being flesh and bone means that God can be touched. A spirit can't be touched. John the Apostle, in his old age, years later, would write, and, and he would recall this when he writes in John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own, with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And, you know, some people, when they meet their favorite celebrity or, or, or their idol, you know, they, 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 they faint or, or they pass out or they scream when they, when they meet them. And that person's a sinner who needs a savior as well. See, can you imagine meeting and touching God? Hey, see, the intensity of peace, the eternal pleasures, the revelation of of seeing and, and being invited to touch God is too much for a spirit to handle. We need buildings from God. Not made by human hands, eternal in the heavens. That's 2 Corinthians 5.1. Furthermore, secondly, ghosts can't comprehend the goodness of the truth before them. Verse 44 of Luke 24. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So just as Jesus only reveals himself to his people, so also it is that only after he's resurrected as flesh and bones is the truth that the truth of scripture comes together. We need the bodily resurrected Jesus to fully understand what the word of God is saying to us. See that word there that's, that's translated open, he opened the scripture. That word, it describes giving birth. So it's, it's as if the disciples, you know, here's the picture. It's as if the disciples were pregnant with all this knowledge about God's goodness, but there wasn't a delivery until Jesus is raised flesh and bones from the dead. You see, without the resurrected, without the resurrected Jesus making the delivery, your knowledge about the goodness of God is stuck in labor. Ouch. No, Jesus says this. He says the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms are all written about him. And he also said that that everything written must be fulfilled. And so he's he's bringing about the things that were written. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is the only way to determine what you know about the scripture and how you know it. See, The word of God has always taught, had always taught that God was working on our behalf in bringing unity between heaven and earth. But it isn't until Jesus is raised from the dead that it is seen just how close heaven and earth really are in one, even in one person. See, through God's word, heaven, as we see, as we go through God's word, you see how, how heaven was always seeking to unite with earth. And Jesus opens this up for, for the disciples. See, in Genesis, Genesis 3.15, Jesus, he's the seed of the woman. 
He's the seed of the woman who crushes the serpent's head. He's the ark. He's the ark of Noah, whereby the people of God are shut in from the wrath of God and protected from the wrath of God that's coming upon the world. Jesus is Abraham's promised seed. He's a better sacrifice than Isaac because he actually gives his life at his father's will. He's better than Joseph in forgiving his brothers and bearing his brothers in their need and their want in a, in a foreign land. And he provided for them. He's better than Moses in de- delivering his people from the bondage of, of slavery to sin. Jesus, in that, that warfare of champions, he's the champion who slayed the giant of death and the grave. See, Jesus is more benevolent than David, the king, because Jesus, he invites we who are, who were spiritually dead and and lame to come like Mephibosheth to the king's table and to share in his welcome. See, Jesus, he's the godly servant of Psalm 4-3 that the Lord has set apart for himself. And Jesus tells this story to, to illustrate the importance of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. To illustrate, he says this, he told this story about the rich man in hell who wanted Abraham to send Lazarus from the dead to warn his brothers. Abraham's reply, he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. It's ghosts can't comprehend the goodness of the truth that's before them. And it takes the bodily resurrected Jesus to open the scriptures so that we might understand it. Since ghosts aren't substantial witnesses to the good things God has done. Good verses 46 through 48. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You see the suffering of Jesus and his bodily resurrection. They go hand in hand in telling the story of redemption. Now Christ didn't die for ghosts. He died for people. Who have flesh and blood. Hebrews 2.14 and 15 says this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You see the message of the, message of the gospel isn't Christ became a spirit in order to redeem spirits. It's not Christ became an angel in order to redeem angels. The gospel is the message that Christ became a man. He became human to take on the penalty of sin, of our sin, in his body. He died and was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead with a body, flesh and bone, bearing the marks of the wounds he suffered on the tree in his body. And he says to his disciples and us, you are witnesses of these things. They're witnesses. They were witnesses 
of Jesus being alive from the dead. Now, you know, if you were to go to the cemetery and you saw that your loved one whom you had been visiting, buried there and, and all of a sudden their grave is empty and they walked up to you and said, hello, you would faint. So you can't, so we can't be too hard on the disciples and, and, and being, and being, being frightened. You know, they were witnesses. They were witnesses of Jesus being alive from the dead. He ate with them. He appeared to them in a room when the doors were shut. Jesus even had a little fish fry on the beach. He was in different places with Multiple people over a period of 40 days. See, he was not a ghost saving other ghosts. Ghosts don't make substantial witnesses of of the good things God has done. Witnesses are, are people who testify with certainty about what they've seen and what they felt and what, what perhaps they touched and, and experienced and, and they're able to attest. So the question is, do you have a testimony? Do you have a testimony about the goodness that God has, what God has done for you in Christ? Are you certain what Christ has done for you? And you might ask, how, how can I be certain about what Christ has done for me? Doesn't, doesn't he demand perfect goodness? Yes, he does. And for some, don't, some, for some they don't believe. You can't believe. You can't believe. You, I can't be perfectly good. How can God demand perfect goodness? Look at the world. Nobody's good. How can God be good? I can relate to the psalmist who will show us some good. Yeah, I have that same question. Well, God has a word for you this morning. Because the answer to who will show us some good is the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the rest of Psalm Psalm 4 and verse 6 goes like this. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us. Oh, Lord. You see, the psalmist knew that the good he desired is in the face of the Lord. Jesus, having a body, having flesh and bone, God has a face. And you and I can be assured of the light of the Lord's face being on us through Jesus Christ. Isn't that what the, isn't this what the scripture teaches us? Doesn't it tell us? That if our gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost and whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the glorious light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, God's goodness, you and I, we can be assured of the light of the Lord's face being on us. God's favor being turned toward us through Jesus Christ. God's goodness will never be taken away from us because Jesus took on flesh and blood to taste death for everyone. This is what the scripture tells us in Hebrews 2, 9 and 10. But we see him 
who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it is fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, Here's what you have to think. Here's what you have to reason. Now, if Jesus did this for you, and it's God's will, it was God's will. How could God, in his goodness, how could God's goodness ever be taken away from you? This is what Romans 8.32 asks. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you see? We are forever taken into God's material world. We are witnesses of the, of, the, of the spiritual and the physical being one. We are witnesses of the invisible being made visible. Jesus, raised from the dead with flesh and bone, tells us that God expects us to be witnesses of the goodness, of his goodness in a physical, material world world. The gospel is that Christ has redeemed us and he's redeemed heaven and earth. That heaven and earth isn't just a bonus thrown in. You know, salvation isn't just about us and heaven and earth is thrown in along with it. No, it's God's goal. And it was God's goal. He stated it in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 where it says, Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Eugene Peterson sums it up when he writes, we are immersed in materiality from start to finish. At the Genesis beginning, we are immersed in materiality. At the Revelation ending, we are immersed in materiality. Nothing in the gospel is presented apart from the physical, nor can it be understood or received apart from the physical. That is not to say that there's nothing but matter, for that would deny most of what living by faith asserts. But it does mean nothing can be experienced apart from matter. The great invisibles, God and the soul, are incomprehensible apart from the great visibles, heaven and earth. Things unseen are only apprehended by means of things seen. The revelation of God does not begin with a material universe and a flesh and blood Jesus and then working itself up through the grades finally graduate into ether and angels and ideas. Thank the Lord for that. So, I hate to be a ghost buster. No, I don't. But we will not be ghosts. We will not be angels. We will be like Jesus. Hallelujah. Yeah, so when your knees are replaced, or if they have to put a metal plate in your head, or parts are taken out of your body, your shoulders don't work the way you'd like for them to work, 
your brain starts to get foggy or you struggle with mental health issues. The good news is Jesus is alive. He has flesh and blood and you will too. You're waiting for a loved one that you've lost and you long to see them. You want to hug them. Oh, yeah. I know that feeling. I want to hug my mother. I have a son. I want to see him. I want to hug him. And thank the Lord that one day that will will be true Because Jesus was raised from the dead, flesh and blood, not a ghost, not an angel, but your loved one, whom you'll be able to hold and they'll be able to hug. (laughs) All because Jesus was raised from the dead, flesh and bone. Does it get any better than life continuing after death? Could it be any better than God putting more joy into your heart? More joy than if you hit the lottery. See, that's a, that's a paraphrase of Psalm 4-7. See, matter matters more to God than to the most ardent materialist. And it's proven in Jesus rising from the dead. And, and Jesus' resurrection from the dead is to bring to us such deep comfort and assurance that we are ready to face anyone, go through anything, and vanquish every attack since we know that he has the power of an indestructible life. And that he also shares that with all those whose faith is in him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, the day of resurrection, we wait for it. And we're glad that you, that you rose from the dead and that you showed yourself alive and that you have made us witnesses to this truth that you are alive, that you're flesh and blood, that you're not just a concept or some disembodied spirit spirit floating around, but you are alive with a body and you have for us that same hope of being like you, sharing in with a glorious body, your glorious body. Make us powerful witnesses for the glory of your name to this truth, but until you come, for it's in your name we pray. Amen.